All right. For the rest of us, let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Nehemiah. The book of Nehemiah. We are trying to get you excited about the daily Bible reading. Now, I don't know. Maybe it's because of my age. Maybe those of you who are just in your 20s, in your teens, maybe in your early 30s, maybe you don't look at it the same way I do. But I ask myself the question, how many years yet do I have to read the Bible through? Now, it's not just to read the Bible through, but it's to master God's Word, not only for my own personal profit, but in helping other people. And now I'm at the level of not just helping my kids, but helping my grandkids. We're always helping our neighbors, right? We're always helping co-workers. We're always helping loved ones and friends. But we really need to know God's Word in order to do that. And so we have been putting this in the bulletin for 30 years probably, the daily Bible reading. What I like about this is, and I'll just reiterate it one more time so that you can maybe appreciate this. What I really like about this is we're never far away from the Old Testament. We're never far away from the New Testament. We're never way far away from the Psalms or the Proverbs because we have put those passages of Scripture in there every day. It wasn't my idea, whoever I got this from. Uh, I just thought it was the best reading program I'd ever seen. And what's really nice is supposing you're one of those sitting there and says, well, Pastor, I've, I've been reading it for 30 years. I, I pretty well have mastered the book of 1 Peter. Well, then you don't have to go over it, right? Just maybe skim through it. Maybe read it through. I mean, i got to be honest with you. When I get to Chronicles and I get to those first nine chapters of all of the genealogies in Chronicles, I do some speed reading. I do some speed reading because I've done it so many times before. But they're there and they're there for a reason and there's a great spiritual benefit for us to look at that. But I'm just saying, this is such a, 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 an opportunity for you to uh, just pick and choose options that are valuable for you. And so I, I hope that we can whet your appetite for the daily Bible reading program. All right. Let's pray together before we look at God's Word. We're in the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah. Gracious Lord, we pray for you to help us to see how valuable this book is for us in the day and age in which we live. Encourage our hearts together. In Jesus, your name we pray. Amen. All right, turn to the book of Nehemiah if you haven't already done that. And the best way to find Nehemiah is to find the Psalms, which is in the, in the middle of the Bible, if you don't know where it is, and then just flip back a couple of books, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. Now, I'm going to give you a summary, and I don't know that I've ever done this before. We're going to do six chapters today, and we're going to do six chapters next week. And you're going, Pastor, are you serious? Now, I'm just going to give you kind of an overview of it. But once again, I'm giving you a summary to spark your interest, to whet your appetite, so you can answer this one question. Why do I need to know the book of Nehemiah? Why is it that important to me? And in order for us to do this quick overview, 
one of the things that we're going to need to do is we're going to have to look at recurring themes. We're going to have to read it, and when you read it this week, if you've chosen to read Nehemiah, look for themes that keep coming up constantly that are repeated. There are three particular themes that we will see constantly in this book. Now you and I probably can then take these themes and we can combine them together and come up with the major focus of the book of Nehemiah. Now, we know that Nehemiah himself is a major book. If for no other reason, you and I need to know the book of Nehemiah, so we have a wonderful, superb example of someone who loved the Lord and knew how to apply his, um, apply God's word to his life. Let me give you an illustration in Nehemiah chapter 5. Everybody turn to Nehemiah chapter 5 for just a moment. Nehemiah becomes the governor of Judea after the Babylonian captivity. It's a horrible period of time for Israel because it's kind of like the pilgrims coming here to America. They have the ocean behind them and they have this formidable wilderness in front of them. And there's no malls, there's no roads. There's nothing of what we would call financial prosperity to encourage them. They're building everything from scratch. And when Israel came back from the Babylonian captivity, the nation was rebuilding almost everything from scratch. A good example of Nehemiah and how important his life and ministry is in, John, in chapter 5, verse 14. Moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judea, or Judah, from the 20th year until the 32nd year of King Artaxerxes, 12 years he was there. Neither I nor my brothers ate the governor's provisions. But the former governors who were before me laid burdens on the people and took from them bread and wine besides 40 shekels of silver. Yes, even their servants bore rule over the people, but I did not do so because of the fear of God. The other governors didn't matter. It didn't matter how poor the people were. It didn't matter how little they had. The other governors wanted to live sumptuously. And so they would demand in the form of, of, of food and, and uh, silver, it's a taxation, of course. They would demand to have their needs met. In verse 16, Nehemiah said, I also continued the work on this wall because his responsibility was to build the wall of Jerusalem. And we did not buy any land. All my servants were gathered there for the work. We didn't have any uh, personal selfish interest in all of this. We didn't go in there with the idea that we're going to scoop up all the land and, and we're going to become the wealthy ones. No, that, that, that was not our idea. That was not our thinking. And at my table were 150 Jews in verse 17 and rulers besides those who came to us from the nations around us. Now that which was prepared daily was one ox and six choice sheep, 
Also fowl were prepared for me, and once every ten days an abundance of all kinds of wine. Yet in spite of this, I did not demand the governor's provisions because, and everybody together, the bondage was heavy on this people. So, Nehemiah is going to be an excellent example for us to follow. Uh, certainly, if you are a leader in government. And, um, but let's go back to chapter 1 for just a moment. And let's what we can see from this book. All right? Now, Nehemiah presents the problem in chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. The words of Nehemiah came to pass in the month of, I'll just say late August or late autumn. Let's put it that way. It was beyond August by now. But in late autumn, in the 20th year of Artaxerxes the king, it doesn't say Artaxerxes there, but it does in chapter 2, verse 1, and we just read it in chapter 5. So we know what it means. But he was in Shushan, the citadel. And when he was there, his brother, who lived in Judea, or Judah, came across the desert all of those months to get to Babylon, or weeks, depending how fast he could travel, and a group of men with him, and they came, and, and Nehemiah says, how's everything going over there? You know, the decree had gone out that we could go home, and thousands of us have gone home, and uh, how's everybody doing? How's everybody who has survived, who has escaped the captivity and survived, how are they doing? Tell me. And they said to him in verse 3, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province of Judah are in great distress and reproach. Oh, and Nehemiah heard that. He just was beside himself. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down. It's never been rebuilt. The gates are burned with fire. It's, they've never been rebuilt. They have been back in the land of Judah for almost a hundred years, and they're in such desperate shape. And so the Bible says, so it was when I heard these words that I sat down and I wept and I mourned for many days, and I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And he prays, and the content of his prayer is given in verses 4 through 11. We won't look at that at this point. But let me simply say this to you that Nehemiah is a praying man. We're going to find out that one of the recurring... When you read the book of Nehemiah this week, you're going to find out in the first six chapters alone that Nehemiah is a praying man. We have seven examples of his prayers just in those six chapters alone. Seven examples. And you're going to look at that and you're going to say, wow, this guy really, really, really was a praying man. He prayed all the time. Every time there was a situation that he needed some advice or some answer, he would go to the Lord in prayer immediately. And he prayed, it seems, about every single thing. And so he prays. Now, Nehemiah was the king's cupbearer. We put a little note in here to, to kind of encourage you this week that Nehemiah was the king's cupbearer. That's a pretty fancy job. 
you know, Nehemiah had to be well trusted. And uh, he would drink, uh, he would drink the, the beverage before it was given to the king to make sure no one was going to put any poison in it. And so he was really, really one of the king's closest persons. And it came to pass in early spring, let's put it that way, you'll never remember Nisan. In early spring, four months later, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, that I took the wine and gave it to the king. And now I had never been sad in his presence before. But I'm really sad. Therefore the king said to me, Why is your face sad since you are not sick? This is nothing but sorrow of heart. I can tell you're really down. I can tell you're really out. And so I became dreadfully afraid. Now, if you're reading through Nehemiah this week, just keep in mind, I became dreadfully afraid because one of the reoccurring themes that you're going to see in the book of Nehemiah is not only that Nehemiah prayed, but Nehemiah has great confidence in God. And you look at and you say, wow, where's that fear that we saw in Nehemiah in chapter 2? Therefore, the Bible said, therefore, and Nehemiah says, May the Lord King live forever, verse 3, Why should my face not be sad when the city and the place of my fathers lies in waste and its gates are burned with fire? And the king said to him, Well, what can I do to help you out? Now, I want you to keep in mind here, and we put this note in here that Artaxerxes is the son of King Xerxes. Now, King Xerxes was married to what famous person in what famous city? Shusa, Shusan or, or Susa, right? And who's the famous person? Ladies? Esther. And so we put a little thought in there. Is it possible that God used Esther to soften the king's heart so that he would help Nehemiah in his time of need. So the king said, listen, I'm going to help you out. And what does Nehemiah do? We already said that one of the recurring things is going to be that he does what? Praise. So in verse 4, the king said to me, what do you request? And so I prayed to the God of heaven. And then in my confidence, I said to the king, I would like to go back to Judah. And I would like to go back there and I'd like to help them. And the Bible says in verse 16, then the king said to him, the queen also sitting beside him, and that could have been Queen Esther, how long will your journey be and when will you return? See how affectionate he is, is with, uh, with uh, Nehemiah. He doesn't want him to go. But he says, well, we agreed on a time. They agreed on a time. Nehemiah would be gone for, uh, for about 12 years, 11 years or so, and then he would return. And so it pleased the king to send me. And they set the time. And so he said to the king, he says, listen, I'm going to be traveling across the desert. I'm going to be going through many provinces. Those would be states for us today. I'm going to throw through many states, and I need to make sure that I can go through those states so nobody, nobody is uh, going to attack me, and, and the governors of those states aren't going to cause any problems for me. So could you, could you have, could you have uh, letters written uh, to prove that I'm doing something that you want me to do. And so the king says, sure, sure, I'll do that. And so Nehemiah then goes to Judah. Now, 
One recurring theme that you're going to see here is in verse 8, and I want you to see at the bottom. He also asked a special letter of Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he might give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel so I can rebuild the, the walls of Jerusalem. And the king granted them, look at the end of that verse, and the king granted them to me according to the good hand of my God upon me. Now, I, I think it's almost a waste of time just to read Nehemiah if you don't connect with him on the personal relationship he has with the Lord. His relationship with the Lord is amazing. And Nehemiah has so many, so many interesting insights to share. He has this keen knowledge of God's willingness to help him throughout this whole thing. And he's so confident, it leads to his confidence in practically everything that he does. And so we got the reoccurring thing of prayer. We're going to find seven examples there. The recurring theme of his keen knowledge of God and his personal relationship that leads to great confidence. And now the reoccurring theme that I think is going to stand out above all three of those is the unrelenting opposition that he has from the people and leaders in Judah. Look at the end of chapter 2. Verse 9, Then I went to the governors in the region beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had said, captains, captains of the army and horsemen with me. Look at verse 10. When Sanballat and Tobiah officially heard of it, what does it say? They were deeply disturbed that a man had come to seek the well-being of the children of Israel. Now, Sanballat, he is the governor of Samaria, a state that the Persian Empire created. Uh, it kind of was started by the Babylonians, but the Samaritans were people that were kind of imported into Judea. And so he is the governor of Samaria, and uh, there's a local governor, Tobiah, that, uh, that is also um, against anybody who's going to help Israel. It's a horrible situation. And so in verse 11, the Bible says that Nehemiah comes to Jerusalem, and there for three days he was there. And then in verse 12, he arose at night. He had a few men with him. And he went around the wall of the city of Jerusalem looking at the damage that had been done by the Babylonian captivity, by the Babylonians a hundred years before, and maybe others along the way. There was one opportunity for them to start to build the wall, but they never were able to do that. And he went out through the he went out at nighttime and he surveyed the walls of the city. And he came back, and when he came back, the Bible tells us that he then got the officials together, had a big meeting with the officials, told the Jews, the priests, the nobles in verse 16 that they were going to build the walls of the city of Jerusalem. 
Look at verse 17. Then I said to them, you see the distress that we are in. How Jerusalem lies waste and its gates are burned with fire. Come and let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. And I told them, and here is one of his keen, keen understandings of God's will and plan. And I told them of the hand of my God which had been good upon me. And also of the king's words that he had spoken to me. And they were all excited about it. And they said, well, let's rise up and let's build. And the Bible says in verse 18 that when they rose up and built, then they set their hands to the good work. But it didn't take long for Sanballat and Tobiah, the Ammonite official, and Jeshem, the Arab And you're going to find out as we go along that there are other people who keep joining in on this opposition until finally there's just a huge crowd of of leaders around uh, uh, Nehemiah that just don't want him to do this. And so I want you to look at this because there's probably ten examples of the opposition. We have seven examples of the fact that Nehemiah is a man of prayer. We have about seven examples Uh, Many examples of his keen, keen understanding of God and how well he knew God and how confident he became because of his relationship with the Lord. But I want you to see a couple of these oppositions for just a moment. Would you please? In verse 19, when Sanballat and Tobiah and Jeshem, the Arab, heard that they were going to build the walls, what did they do? They laughed at us. They despised us. They said, what is this thing that you are doing? You're going to rebel against the king. And what was his response, by the way? Recurring theme. So I answered them and said to them, what does it say? The God of heaven himself will prosper us. He knew. He knew what was the outcome was going to be. He knew that God was going to be with them. Now, I want you to see a couple of other examples. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to flip, I'm going to skip over chapter 3. Now, I want to tell you something about chapter 3. When you read chapter 3, you're probably going to say, oh, I just don't see anything in there that's going to help me at all. Because chapter 3 is about all of the people in the city of Jerusalem that, that, uh, and the surrounding area that rise up and they assign all of the tasks for rebuilding certain gates. The shepherd gate, the dung gate, the, um, uh, the, all, all of the gates around the city. And you have a description of all of this. The only, the only reason I'm bringing it to your attention is you can go through that pretty fast. You don't have to read that, every single word of that. Skim through that, but I want to tell you something. What's amazing about chapter 3, if you're an archaeologist, is this. Archaeologists have been able to uncover the original city of Jerusalem during this period of time. And it's amazing. It's amazing how accurate of a description this is as you go around the city of Jerusalem and see all of the groups of people who are rebuilding sections of the wall. All of those names. Uh, it's, It's pretty exciting. It's pretty exciting if you're an archaeologist. Okay? Because you say, wow, this... This is, really, this is really true stuff. But I want you to look at chapter 4 for just a second. So it happened when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, that he was furious and very indignant and mocked the Jews. And he spoke before his brethren in the army of Samaria and said, What are these feeble Jews doing? 
What are they going to do? They're going to try to fortify themselves. They're going to offer sacrifices. What are they going to do? They're going to complete this in a day because the, the work was, was going fast. In 51 days, they had this whole thing done. And they said, um, will they revive the stones of the heaps of rubbish, stones that are burned? And now Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, whatever they build, if even a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. I mean, they're just being ridiculed like you wouldn't believe. And imagine that ridicule is happening day after day after day after day after day after day. And the one question you should ask yourself when you're reading the book of Nehemiah is this. Nehemiah has come to help rebuild the walls. He must endure enormous opposition. And the question you need to ask yourself is how does he handle it? How does he deal with it? How does he handle it? What does he do in this particular example when they are being ridiculed and they are being scorned and mocked? What does he do in verse 4? Of chapter 4. What does he do? He prays. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn their reproach on their own heads and give them to plunder, give them as plunder to a land of captivity. Do not cover their iniquity and do not let their sin be blotted out from before you. For they have provoked you to anger before the builders. We could continue to go down to the next illustration. In verse 7, the Bible says, Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ashdods, the Ammonites, they all get together and they are very angry. And they all conspire together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. So they start out with mocking, they start out with despising, then they threaten to attack. Nehemiah has to prevent those attacks from arising. What does he do in verse 9? Whenever he hears about the impending attack on Jerusalem. What does he do? He prays. Nevertheless, we made our prayer to our God. And because of them, we set a watch. They had a watch night and day. Half the people were watching the walls. The other half were building the walls. And they watched those walls day and night. And in verse 11, just to give you some sense of how difficult this was, our adversary said, they will neither know nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them and cause the work to cease. And the Jews, ten times, look at this, ten times the Jews came to Nehemiah and said, it doesn't make any difference what you do. It doesn't make any difference what you do. From whatever place you turn, they're going to be upon us. They're not going to stop. They're not going to be unrelenting in what they do. Now, I just want to refer to one other example of opposition because we have to wrap this up in a minute or a couple minutes. And I, I don't want to lie about that. <laughs> so I, don't want to, I want to be truthful to you. But I want you to go to chapter 6 for a second because I want you to see this opposition and, and what happens here. Now, it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, Jeshem, the Arab, and the rest of their enemies heard it. Again, this is another form of opposition. That in verse 2, Sanballat and Jeshem sent to me saying, Come, let us meet together among the villages in the plain of Ono. But they thought to do me harm. So I sent messengers to them and said, I'm not doing it. 
I'm doing a great work. I'm doing what God wants me to do. I'm not going to come. I'm not going to come. And how many times does the Bible say that they tried to pressure him into coming out into one of the villages in the plain of Ono? Verse 4. How many times? Four times. And each time, he says, no, I'm not going to do it. Then Sambalat sent his servant to me as before the fifth time with an open letter in his hand. And it was written. Here's the open letter. Let's read it. It is reported among the nations, and Jeshem says that you and the Jews plan to rebel. Therefore, according to these rumors, you are rebuilding the wall that you may be their king. And you also have appointed prophets to proclaim concerning you at Jerusalem, saying, There is a king in Judah. Now these matters will certainly be reported to the king, so come therefore and let us consult together. You've got to understand this enormous pressure on Nehemiah. You know, the king's going to hear about it. Artaxerxes is going to hear about this anyway. It's all going to come out. And so you and I, we need to sit down and we need to work this out. And, of course, they were going to certainly do him harm if they could woo him out into the plain of Ono. And Nehemiah knew that. Verse 9, for they were trying to make us afraid, saying their hands will be weakened in the work and it will not be done. And what does he do? He prays. He's a man of prayer. Now, therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. If that's not bad enough, they go on a campaign to try to discredit Nehemiah among his own people. They, they continually, the whole time this is happening, Nehemiah is dealing with this opposition and almost every single... Well, let me just read verse 13. For this reason, they hired someone to kind of trap Nehemiah. And Nehemiah says, For this reason he was hired that I should be afraid and act the way, the way they want me to act so that they might have cause for an evil report so that they can discredit me among the people. That's the whole impression here. So that I will look bad among all of the citizens of Jerusalem. But uh, what does he do in verse 14? Everybody together. He prays. My God, remember Tobiah and Sabalot, according to these their works. And the prophetess, it's not as if, I mean, we even have religious leaders involved. The prophetess, Noadiah, and the rest of the prophets who would have made me afraid. Now, I want to close. I'm going to close with the next few verses here. Verse 15, 16, 17, 18, and 19. Because you need to ask the question, what do I need to know? Why do I need to know this book? And what in this book is helpful for me? This book teaches us how nasty people can be, right? This book teaches us how dark the human mind can be. This people teaches us uh, exactly what we can expect when we want to do what God wants us to do and those around us don't want us to do what God wants us to do. This book is very good at teaching us. So I want to finish with these verses. This is, this is, this is it. So the wall was finished on the 25th day, and in, in, in done in 52 days, not 51, but 52. 
And it happened when all our enemies heard of it and all the nations around us saw these things that they were very disheartened in their own eyes. Now don't read the next line. I want you to look at verses 17, 18, and 19 and then we'll go back up and finish this off. Also in those days the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah and the letters of Tobiah came to them and many in Judah were pledged to them. A lot of people were on the side of Tobiah because there was a strong relationship between families. Let me just put it that way. He describes that relationship. And so, uh, you know, if we talk about things like deep state in, in our culture, uh, we talk about, um, um, look at verse 19, and also the report of his, and also they reported his good deeds before me, and they reported my words to him. So, so they're, they're just trying the best they can to get Nehemiah and to destroy his credibility and ruin the work. They're doing everything they can. But notice, notice, if I had to give an application that I think is really valuable, it's that verse 16. Nothing they did worked. Because Nehemiah stood firm and his confidence in God was great. But notice what it says in verse 17. Nehemiah was always, always confident that God was working in his behalf, but notice what it says about his enemies. They were very disheartened in their own eyes, for they finally perceived that this work was done by our God. Didn't stop them, we just read what they continue to do. But that's the application. Now, that's what you're going to read this week in Nehemiah. And you need to come up with some good application. Let me simply say this to you since this here has some good precedent for us here in the United States of America. Our founding fathers wanted the world to know that the word work of nation building came from God. Our founding fathers wanted the world to know that. So they were very, very concerned. That's why we had lots of, we had lots of days of prayer that were publicly declared by the Congress of the United States of America and by the, by the uh, people in government because we wanted to let the world know that God was the one building America, not us. And all you need to do is look at the condition of America today and stay, say, are we still giving the world the impression that God is building America? That's a problem. That's a problem. And it's a problem that we should want to solve in our day and age in this generation. But I'm going to make it a little bit more personal. You see, not only is it nation building that God does, but it's family building that God does too. Two weeks ago we went through Psalm 127 in the daily Bible reading if you were reading it. Except the Lord builds the house... They labor in vain who build it, right? And we should want all of our communities and all of the people around us to know that God is the one who is building our homes as well. And all you need to do is ask yourself the question of whether or not that impression is out there. If it is, how do my neighbors know? If it isn't, why don't they know? See, see what I mean? All right, I'm done for today. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and 
And Lord, as we went through these first six chapters, I pray, Lord, that you have just sparked our interest a little bit so that we'll look at these chapters in great detail and we'll see that Nehemiah is a shining example to us of courage, of loyalty. He's a shining example of his dependence upon you and the confidence that you granted to him that he was doing exactly what you wanted him to do. But Lord, also remind us that we live in a world that doesn't make any difference whether it's the church, it doesn't make any difference whether it's our families. Our families are constantly being attacked by the culture of this society. Our churches are constantly being attacked by the culture of our society. And our nation is constantly being attacked as well. But Father, just help us to put it in perspective and to know that, that regardless of the opposition... You're a sovereign God who controls the affairs of men. And we pray, Lord, that we will be in the center of your will, more concerned and more interested in your plans and purposes than anything else. Give us confidence to know that we're doing what's right. And Lord, make us a nation of prayer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.